This is the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. Episode 25 Becoming Thomas 1. The worst day of Madison's life began at the end of her shift at the local Suncash coffee shop. At 10.15 p.m., with 90% of the day complete, it was hard to believe that her day could become marred to anything but a regular, average day. After all, she only had to close up the store, drive home, and then go to sleep. She had gotten up at 6 a.m. that morning, as usual, took a shower, put on her makeup, and had gotten to the high school by 7.45. She finished her first period AP English II homework in the library, completing the essay part on Ralph Waldo Emerson just in time for the five-minute bell to hum from the sound system in the hall corridors. Her teacher, Miss Jones, said it was the best essay of the class, even though there were a number of unfortunate grammatical issues. She received a 95 grade, which actually did ruin her morning. Who would have thought the teacher would notice her confuse the spelling of ladder with ladder, or care? It was the same as when she lost points for mistaking shutter with shutter. AP Algebra 2 was already aced. Physics done. Journalism before lunch. That was fun. Madison loved spending time with her journalism partner, Jason Morwick. He was the quarterback for the school football team, and to say Madison was into him was an understatement. She had read everything he had written, helped correct his grammar while they got to know one another, and had saved every publication of his that the newspaper included and did not include. She wouldn't say she was obsessed, but the interested borderline on unhealthy. Madison's sister, Tanya, found the stash and had said Madison's face was never redder when she was asked about it. But being in the 11th grade didn't leave her many dating options. Choir practice, along with homework, preparing for the SAT, ACT, getting college lists and applications together, and her evening part-time job at Suncash made her availability limited at best. She had lunch with her best friend Samantha, who went by Sammy. When Madison considered herself to be busy, Sammy was far and above busier. She was in marching band, participated in the local wind groups, was first chair bassoonist in the Dallas Symphony Youth Orchestra, and somehow had that 5% in her grades that Madison was missing. Madison joked that Sammy could somehow stop time. That would be the only way she could have better grades than Madison while doing everything else. And she was in a long-term relationship with Tom Perkins, the first chair trombone player in her youth orchestra. Whatever. Some people are just prodigies. Madison went to world history class, possibly the worst planning and schedule possible. She had fallen asleep after lunch in that class multiple times, but still maintained one of the top grades in the class. Madison had fallen asleep that day, only to have Gregory Whitmer slowly nudge her arm once the bell rang. Hey Madison, Greg whispered. Madison raised her head and took a deep breath, realizing she had fallen asleep again. She met Mr. Francis's eyes. He gave her a jovial squint that told her there were no hard feelings, and went back to grading papers at his desk. Thanks, Greg, Madison said groggily as they entered the hall. Greg was a good friend of hers. The two had partnered up for multiple projects throughout their time together in different classes in school. She had thought he was into her until she found out he was gay, which made them even better friends. They were able to talk candidly about everything from then on, and they did. Sixth period choir went well. Breathing and executing vocal notes on the music always woke her up after her sleepy post-lunch history class. She had track as her final period. Once that was over, she drove her green Hyundai Elantra home, took a shower, and took a 30-minute rest before dressing for suncash. Work went smoothly, just making coffee and specialty drinks for customers. 
Her last shift partner left at eight, leaving her to close on her own as usual. There was a lull after nine in the evening, which gave her enough time to skim through a few chapters she missed in history class. The class itself was easy. It was the half-inch worth of chapters she'd have to read from the world history book that was the difficult part. Remembering all the dates among all the math formulas she'd need to remember was no easy task. Thankfully, she had finished chemistry last year. If she'd have to read all those chapters and memorize the periodic table of elements constantly, her brain might explode. She was supposed to lock the door at 10 for closing duties, but she didn't. Madison would later wonder if she had locked the door, things might have been different, but she didn't think they would be. Usually after a traumatic event, the brain tries to rationalize the if-only. If only the police hadn't let that guy go. If only he hadn't gotten onto the helicopter. If only their hotel and reservation had been cancelled along the way. It's a reality that will never be, and yet people process the world in the past that way so they might gain wisdom for later. Madison heard the footsteps at the front first, and then the glass suite door flew open. A man of about thirty in a nice dress blue navy suit and slacks entered, clutching his jacket tightly to his ribs. Madison left the manager's office, thinking he was just a regular customer. The moment she saw him, he collapsed to the floor behind the front counter. A look of excruciating pain filled his face as the veins in his neck stood out. Madison gasped when she saw that his entire chest and stomach were covered with blood. Putting her hands to her mouth, her first instinct was to go for a phone to call the police, but the man drew a small twenty-two pistol from his coat pocket and pointed it at her. He was trying to formulate words, but blood began running from his lips. The gun slipped from his grasp as his whole body began to tremble and shake. He reached into his breast pocket and withdrew a small black box, like the kind of box someone might use to propose with. He fumbled with it for a second to get it open, and then, sure enough, he drew a wide-banded golden ring from within. He held it up to her. Hide it. Blood poured from his lips as his arm fell. The ring hit the floor, bounced, and rolled under the counter. The man fell back to the ground, unable to keep himself upright any longer. All of this had happened so quickly, within the span of about a minute, and yet, Madison still had no idea what to do as she stood there in the path next to the kiosk of roast beans and novelty Suncash coffee cups. The guy was rolling around, choking on blood and bleeding out before her eyes. He gave a series of spasms and then fell lax, the blood leaving his mouth and body fluidly without resistance. Blood was everywhere. Madison had not really known how much blood was in a human being until that moment. She shifted her apron aside and went for her phone in her pocket. And that's when things got bad. A second, older man entered through the glass front door and closed it behind him. He peered through the glass into the parking lot and then turned the open sign to closed. He latched the lock on the front door, checked to make sure there were no cameras in the building, and then started toward her. The man wasn't very tall. His head was bald from old age. He didn't look very menacing, but he did have an air of competence in his movements that told her he had a good idea of what he was doing. He pinched his pockets and tugged his slacks up, then crouched over the man who had died previously. He put the man's twenty-two into his coat pocket, and then rifled through the dead man's pockets. He grabbed the empty ring box and let it tumble from his fingers before he stood up to finally address Madison. Where is it? he drawled. Where's what? Madison squeaked. Where's the ring? He pulled out that ring box, like, right now, like a minute ago, and dropped it right where you found it. Madison spoke shakily. I haven't moved from right here since you got here. She held up her hands. The man, still crouched over the dead man, took a deep breath and stood up. 
Jesus Christ, he shook his head. He ate it, didn't he? Madison shook her head. I, I don't know. Maybe he did, but he pulled out that box and fell down. That's all I know. Fucking. He bit his lower lip as he surveyed the man. Fucking prick. God damn it. The older gentleman withdrew his cell phone, pressed several buttons, and began pacing the coffee shop with the phone to his ear. He waited for a few rings before the person on the other end picked up. Hey, he said, taking a deep breath. Yeah, I got him. He's here. He's fucking dead. And I'm pretty sure he swallowed the goddamn ring. The person on the other end shouted something. Well, look, I'm gonna clean this up and get back to the headquarters, and we'll figure out what to do from there. Yeah, all right. Talk to you soon. He lowered the phone and hung up. Stupid. The man pulled his slacks up from the knees again so that he could crouch back down over the body. He looked back up at Madison. Okay, I'm gonna need your help. I'll get all this cleared out and you'll go about your regular business. Good? He pursed his lips as he looked at her. Madison nodded. Whatever you need. Give me your phone. The man held up his hand. What? Madison asked. Your phone. Give it to me, he ordered. I'll give it back to you later. Okay. Madison withdrew her phone from her pocket and gave it to the man. He put her phone in his back pocket and sighed. Ma'am, I'm deeply sorry, but I gotta frisk you. Take off the apron. Eyes starting back and forth, Madison took off her apron and gave it to the man. He checked the two pockets on the apron's front, then tossed it aside. Raise your arms, he said as he entered her personal space. He didn't look to be gaining any satisfaction from this, so Madison did as asked. I got two daughters, both way older than you, so don't worry. Madison took a deep breath as the man patted her down, his hands clutching her armpits before patting down her sides to her stomach. His fingers felt at the pockets of her jeans, then fell down to her calves and socks. Do me a solid and tug on your bra for me real quick, just to make sure nothing's down there. He looked away. Finally feeling irritated, Madison plucked the center of her bra several times to show that she hadn't stuffed the ring between her breasts. I'm a good judge of character, said the man, so I believe you when you say you don't have the ring, but trust me when I say I'll find it if it doesn't turn up. Got me? Madison nodded. All right, I'm gonna go bring my car around back. You're gonna help me get him into the trunk, and then you and I get on our hands and knees and bleach all this blood up. It'll probably take an hour or so. You got places to be, people waiting for you? No, it'll be fine, Madison said. Good, just tell whoever there was a short on the register or something. Lock the door behind me and go open the back. The man paused at the front door. Oh yeah, and if you got a landline or something back there, I wouldn't bother calling the police. You want to truly ruin your night, do that. So just play everything safe and you walk out of this without a scratch. Okay, Madison said. The man considered her for a few seconds and then turned and went out to the front. Madison, unable to even look at the dead body, dropped to her knees to find the ring under the front counter. It was too far back, so she had to get up and go around to the register before crouching to reach under. The metal felt cold as her fingers closed around it. She got up, looked around, and instinctively opened the coffee grind lid and tossed the ring into the grinds that she had changed when she arrived for her shift. She scooped the still-wet coffee grind over the ring and wiped her fingers on a napkin. Madison jumped as there was a sudden pounding on the back door to the building past the manager's office. She jogged to the back and opened the door to find the older man standing there with his hands in his jacket pockets. What were you doing? He squinted at her. Nothing, I just had to do something in the restroom, 
Madison said as the man grabbed a floor rug carpet next to the door and pushed past her. He surveyed the manager's office. There was a landline, but it was clearly not plugged in as it sat atop a stack of old binders with the phone cord coiled on top of it. He paused at the doorway to the restroom. Madison could see his scanning eyes see everything. The man glanced over to see her watching him and rolled his eyes back to the body at the front. First, the man dragged the kiosk of Suncash tumblers out of the way. Then he draped the carpet on the floor next to the body. He turned to Madison. Get over there and grab his legs. We're gonna roll him onto the carpet, roll him up, and get him out of here. Madison did as asked, grappling the defunct legs of the dead man whose face was so white he looked like a vampire. He was so heavy, even though he didn't look like a big person. Rolling him onto the carpet took all of her strength as the older man hoisted him by the armpits. The dead man's blood-soaked blazer jacket crumpled unseemly around his form as he was manhandled into the rolled carpet that was now covered with blood. The older man took a deep breath as he stood up, meeting Madison's eyes. You think you got problems? I gotta cut this asshole open and find out where that damn ring is, so consider yourself lucky. Madison looked down at the man who was now a lump within the carpet. Grab that side. Let's get him into the trunk so you don't look like you're gonna puke six ways from Sunday every time I look at you. I'll be okay, Madison swallowed. Sorry you had to be involved with this, he said. I figured shooting him would stop him. Didn't think he'd run six blocks just to waste my time with you. Madison didn't know what to say, so she didn't say anything. The two grabbed each side of the carpet and carried the man out through the front door to the back where the trunk lid was already prepared to receive its meal. It was an old gray mercury sable, like something her grandparents might drive. The two shoved and crooked the rigid carpet form into the trunk. The old man maneuvered in front of Madison to punch the legs multiple times to get them to seat deep enough for him to close the trunk door. Okay, let's grab some bleach, finish this up, and I'll be out of here. The two spent the next 30 minutes on their hands and knees with two trash bags next to them. Each bag was loaded up with the bloody rags they had used to soak up and clean the mess left behind by the dead man. Once they were finished, the older man stuffed the bags into the backseat of his car. At last, he returned to Madison for a final word. You did good, kid. Here, take it, he said, handing her ten $100 bills with her phone. Pretend like none of this shit happened. I was never here. You came up short on the register because Tammy or whatever fucked up the count. Replaced Tammy with whoever. But you never saw me. And you never saw anybody get shot. What if someone asked me directly? Madison asked. Is there a camera in your place that you didn't tell me about? He asked. I, I don't know. I don't think so. The man shrugged. Then no one is going to ask. However, if I don't find that ring on this guy, you'll be hearing from me. So, if you do know where it is, speak now or forever hold your peace. The two stared at one another, Madison a few steps from the doorway, the older man leaning over the open door to the driver's seat of his car. I told you already, I never saw a ring. He flared his fingers in a shrug and pursed his lips. All right, kid, hope I won't be seeing ya. He got into his car and Madison watched him drive down the alley and out of sight. She turned around to the still and silent coffee shop where everything had been put back in its place and looked as it had prior to the two men's arrival. She slowly walked across the floor. The bleach was sticky on the bottom of her shoes and that made her nauseous from the idea that blood and death had stained the floor where she stepped. Could she really do nothing? The man would just disappear into the ether like nothing he ever did in his life was leading to a proper conclusion? The man who had shot him was a monster, but if she could stand by and do nothing... 
What kind of person did that make her? Madison went around to the register to finish up her closing duties. Once she had cashed out the machine and stuffed the bank deposit into the safe under the counter, she put her finger on the master power switch on the wall. She waited there for what felt like a long time, staring off into nothing, seeing the room as a blur in front of her. Eyes wide, heart hammering in her chest, Madison blinked, swallowed hard, and turned around to face the far-left coffee maker of the six they had for the shop. Raising a shaky hand, Madison lifted the lid to see the unnaturally upheaved grind, under which the wide-banded ring lay. She plucked the whole coffee and coffee filter from its placement and held the grind suspended over the trash. With her thumb and forefinger, Madison plucked the ring from the pile and dropped the rest of the coffee and filter into the trash. She rinsed the ring and her fingers off before putting the ring in an obscure pouch on her laptop bag. She hit the master light switch, locked up the front, and got into her car. She immediately locked the car door, licking her lips as she looked around the completely vacant parking lot. Usually other people were leaving their retail jobs around the same time, but since she had stayed until almost midnight, everyone was long gone. Terrified, hands shaking upon the wheel as her chest trembled with every breath, Madison took winding back roads home. Every car that pulled up behind her seemed to be following her. She entered neighborhoods at random, only to see the car following speed on. It took three times longer than it should for her to arrive at her parents' house. She made sure the coast was clear, and then jogged with her laptop to the front. Her parents had already gone to sleep, leaving a plate of pot roast, mashed potatoes, and green beans and carrots in the microwave. Madison ate the food, then brushed her teeth and went to bed. She stared wide-eyed at the ceiling for what felt like hours before her body allowed her a few hours of deep sleep. All she dreamed about was cleaning blood from the perpetually contaminated tiled floor. It was all around her, covering her hands and jeans. She had cleaned everything, and yet the blood staining her clothes was impossible to hide or explain. Madison found herself in class. Everyone was looking at her. She had a pile of homework for English that she hadn't completed. It had been three months since she had been to school, and she was covered in blood. She stammered to explain to wide, inquisitive eyes. The principal of the school, Mr. Jacobs, entered with three police officers pointing his finger at her, and that's when her phone alarm went off at 6 a.m. A flood of relief washed over her as everything fell away, everything but the events that had taken place the previous night that she could not cleanse herself of, no matter how hard she tried. 2. Madison didn't feel like trying today, so she wore a white sweater with dark denim jeans. She put on her tennis shoes, grabbed her backpack, and slung her laptop bag over her shoulder. She ate a bowl of oatmeal, trying not to think about anything from the night before. Her sister asked her several questions that Madison didn't register. Her parents ate their breakfast, looking at their phones as they ignored Madison and her sister. Madison finished her oatmeal and left for school. She arrived earlier than expected, going straight to the library. She remembered her dream as she finished her English homework in a blind rage. She didn't even care what she wrote. Her brain wasn't here. It wasn't really anywhere. Madison formulated a plan to call in sick to work that evening, but something inside of her didn't want to cave. She felt like she was on the brink of a full-on panic attack, but every time she thought she was about to lose it, she just got through. It was like if she just focused on the task at hand, completed that, moved on to the next one, she could make it. Suddenly, in mid-sentence, everything fractured. She found herself staring off into space, thinking about mopping the blood from the floor. 
She thought about the ring, saw it in her fingers with the sprinkling of moist grind. Packing everything up, Madison made for the restroom. She was going to vomit. She knew it. She burped silently to herself as the indigestion burned up her esophagus. She stood in front of the mirror, sweat on her forehead and catching her t-shirt on her back beneath her sweater. Madison wiped her forehead with cold water and stared at the basin with her mouth open, willing herself to calm down and not to puke. She would make for the toilet if she had to, but for now she just needed to try to relax. Taking a deep breath, she stepped away from the basin and leaned against the wall. She felt better, but she really wanted to go home. It was then that she crouched over her laptop bag and withdrew the golden ring from its pouch. She examined it in the light closely. It appeared to be slightly tarnished on the outside, but shiny on the inside. There were bands of what truly looked like hieroglyphics around the top and bottom part of the ring. She rolled it between her fingers in the vacant bathroom, and then casually slipped it onto her index finger. Pain filled her legs and feet as her shoes exploded. The seams of her jeans ripped down both sides and she felt an unnatural tightness around her chest. What the? Madison spoke, but the deep voice of a man bellowed out of her. She looked down to see a pair of large boy's hands. The sleeves of her sweater were skin tight to her meaty forearm. What? Madison breathed as she turned toward the mirror to see that she looked ridiculous. Her formerly long brown hair was short. Her nose was ginormous, and so was her chin and forehead. Her bra was still strapped to her barrel of a chest, but it contained only body mass. Her jeans were basically ruined as she could see the crisscross stitching pulled against her outer thigh. Madison quickly pulled off the ring. The moment the cold metal met her palm, she felt her normally fitting clothes drape off of her now that they'd been stretched out. She plucked her sweater from her chest that was now three sizes larger than before. Her jeans slipped and fell down to her shoes. As if having to carry and clean up a dead body the evening prior wasn't traumatizing enough, she had to get curious about that stupid ring. It was only 7.35 in the morning, so she still had time before the halls got busy. Madison pulled her pants up and held them at her lower stomach before she hurried to the girls' locker room where her track clothes were located. Changing into her gym shorts and t-shirt worked, except the waistband to her underwear was now shot. She didn't have an extra pair, which made her feel a little unprepared. Almost three full years of high school and she had never found it necessary to carry around a second pair of panties for an emergency or something. Even after the monthly business started when she was 12, her body typically gave her enough warning time to be ready. How strange, though. The ring could transform the wearer into the opposite sex. Madison thought the ability was rather worthless at first, until she began to think about it more. If a person could change genders, it would basically be like being able to become a different person, at any given time. It also allowed someone to travel to areas that might not normally be socially acceptable. No wonder people were dying over this piece of jewelry. An item with power like that was invaluable. She thought about the old man and his threats that he would find her if he couldn't get the ring out of the dead body, and suddenly that threat didn't seem so empty. He would find nothing in the body, and that would make him mad. Madison could see him with a body on a table, his hands, arms, and chest covered with blood as he searched through the man's stomach and esophagus for a ring that was not there. How long would he spend before he'd lose patience, give up, and then start the process of figuring out who she was? She might have one day. If that old guy had killed the younger man over the ring, why wouldn't he do the same to her? Ideas of running away came to her. She thought about leaving school now, 
getting in her car to go home where she would pack her things and walk to the bus station. She could take a bus to anywhere and do it and become anyone. She could even become the man version of herself, assuming the ring allowed the wearer to change indefinitely until the ring was removed. It seemed like that was the way it worked, but it obviously had some kind of ability that she couldn't comprehend. But the question now was to run or to stay. There was no doubt he would return to interfere with her life. What if she said she found it and just gave it to him? It was impossible to imagine one scenario without considering what would happen next. The man was a criminal. He killed without remorse, was able to dispose of bodies effectively enough to have done it more than once, and clearly knew how to maneuver through the world without being caught. Someone like that would use the ring for evil, or work with others who would use it for evil. Just imagining if some ten-year-old boy acquired the ring, even he would likely use the ring for ill purposes. No, an item such as the ring in her pocket needed to be protected, or it needed to be destroyed. She thought about pitching the ring into the ocean. It might be ages before it was found, but the old man wouldn't believe her. Or, and then Madison's mind perked up, she could outwardly know where the ring was. She could tell the man she had hid it, and that if he wanted it back, he would have to promise to leave her alone. If she could guarantee her and her family's safety, then he could have the ring back. That seemed like the best idea yet. He would find her, he would be angry, and he would kill her if he had the choice. So she had two options, hide the ring and face the man head on, or run. Both seemed like equally valid paths, except he might go after her family if she disappeared. They knew less than nothing about any of this, but Madison couldn't risk allowing him to consider them collateral. No, she would have to deal with him directly, and with the ring hidden. That meant she was going to have to leave school today. Madison, looking like she had just finished track at almost eight in the morning, exited the building through the side entrance and made her way to her car. She thought a lot about what she should do next, places she could hide the ring. It was too cold to wear only her track clothes, so she made for her house to change. Fortunately, she only lived six blocks from the school. Her phone vibrated in her bag as she hurried down the road. Phone still vibrating, when she turned the corner to her street, Fear iced through her veins as she saw the Mercury Sable sitting in front of her house. Only her mother's SUV was still sitting in the driveway. Shit, she whispered and did a U-turn, fumbling with the zipper on her backpack bag to withdraw the phone. It was her mother. Eyes darting back and forth, Madison answered the phone. Hey, her voice quavered. Where are you? The old man asked. He didn't sound patient anymore. He sounded pissed off. I'm at school. Where do you think? She pulled over around the block. Not according to the GPS tracker I put on your car. What's going on, Madison? What do you want from me? She asked. You know what I want, he said. Listen, your mom is fine. She's very concerned based on the expression on her face. But I know what I'm being lied to and I need to make sure it's not going to happen again. Come home. Now, he hung up. She felt like a mouse that had hurried for a hole in the wall, only to scrape and scramble against the hardwood floor as a large tomcat pinned its tail. This time period was that fear the mouse felt for those last few seconds of painless life, before the abrupt pain of death ended it. Madison lowered her phone to the passenger seat next to her bag and put the car into drive. There was still an out, she thought. She could always get out of the car right here and run. 
but then she had no idea what he might do to her mother if she didn't show up at her house. Madison found herself pulling into her driveway next to her mother's SUV, a coldness settling in her fingers and toes. She grabbed her bag by the strap and walked up the sidewalk drive to the front of the house. She turned the knob and entered. Everything seemed quiet and normal at first, but then the old man stepped into the hall corridor leading past the kitchen. He wore the same jacket and slacks combination he had wore the night before. Morning, Madison, he said. Ever had to fish through a dead body for jewelry before? She shook her head. Yeah, me neither, he said with his hands stuffed in his coat pockets. He took a deep breath and beckoned for her to follow. She followed him to the back door to their house, and he opened it for her to exit. Madison? Her mother asked from the kitchen. She was seated at the kitchen table and everything appeared to be okay. Madison, what's going on? It's okay, Mom. She stepped out through the back door and descended the steps to the back patio by their family pool. The elderly man motioned for her to sit down at the outdoor patio table and chairs. She sat and he sat across from her. My name's Jeremy, he said. I used to work for the special crimes unit for the LAPD. I know a lot of things about a lot of subjects, things the government would prefer your average individual didn't know about. This ring that you have, and I know you have it, it's one of those things your average individual really shouldn't know about. It's not for you. It's not for me either. It's for someone with more money than you or I could fathom. So you've got to know that whatever little investment you've got in this, it's negligible to the amount of investment my constituent has. That being said, is it worth my time to cut through the stomach of a dead body for that ring? He continued. Absolutely, if the ring was inside it. I could also look at the hidden camera footage from the Suncash coffee shop that your perverted manager installed over the drive through window. If you think I spent 25 years on the force and don't know how to spot a hidden camera, you're out of your mind. After you left, I picked the back lock to the building and found it. I'll show you the edited version. Jeremy, the old man, produced his phone to show her a high-quality surveillance video of her placing the ring in the coffee grounds, and then another clip of her plucking it from the grounds before washing it off. Jeremy put his phone back in his pocket as Madison's face went red. Fortunately for you, I didn't have to cut our friend open after all. But now, I need you to tell me if you have the ring. I do, said Madison. Jeremy looked past her from his relaxed seat adjacent to her. He licked his lips. Did you put the ring on, and did you find out what it does? I did. She looked down to her track shoes. Jeremy let out a frustrated groan. Well, that fucking complicates things now, doesn't it? He withdrew his pistol, shaking his head. He tongued his tooth as he scraped the patio chair across the concrete to get up. Madison was too terrified to move. Her eyes widened as he towered over her, pointing the pistol at her head. He fingered off the safety and thumbed the hammer. This was it. It would just end, and that would be it. That's all that would need to happen, and she wouldn't even really know that it had happened. Suddenly, like a bandsaw through the silence, Really? He asked aloud without looking at his phone. Spared by the big man himself. Jeremy lowered the gun and withdrew the phone from his pocket. He swiped with his thumb to answer and put the phone up to his ear, his eyes never leaving Madison's. 
Yeah, got it right here. Well, what do you think? We make a big deal about something and kids do what kids do. Yeah, she put it on, so yeah, it's bound to her now. I'm in the process of breaking the bond as we speak. The person on the other end of the phone spoke for a long time. Madison couldn't hear what he was saying, but she watched Jeremy's impartial expression as he listened, blinking occasionally as he processed the information. At last, he took a deep breath, pressed the safety back on, and put the pistol back in his pocket. Okay, he said to the person on the other end of the line. You call the shots. The decision's on your hands, though, if this goes sideways. All right, I'll bring her to you. See you in a bit. He hung up the phone. Madison realized that she was still braced in her chair like she was about to die. Change of plan, said Jeremy. The boss wants to talk to you. 3. When Madison and Jeremy re-entered the house, Jeremy flashed a badge at her mother. So, long story short, Madison was privy to a crime last night. A man died and she waited with me while the crime scene crew showed up. Nothing happened, but I gotta take her down to the station to make a statement. There was a little bit of a mishap at the scene of the crime, but it's been straightened out. Okay? Her mother looked between her and the man. Madison was no fool. She could either play along and make things easy, or he would take out his gun and take her by force. The second option involved the cops, but Madison knew he had murdered once before for his own convenience. It might be easier to kill her mother than to allow her to live and call the police. All of this had already been processed by Madison as they were walking up the steps to the house in the backyard. She planned on making a move, but it would not be at this moment. Madison sighed, playing it cool. I was hoping to hang out with my friend Jenny this evening, but what are you going to do? Jeremy squinted at her. Madison's mother grabbed her coat. I'm coming with you. It's okay, I'll be back in a few hours, said Madison. It's not the first time I've filled out a crime report. Are you sure? Her mother studied her carefully. Yep, the sooner I get going, the sooner I can get this over with. Okay, I have two pecan pies in the oven. Her mother looked to Jeremy. If you have time to wait a little longer... That sounds amazing, but I really need to get back to the office. And Madison really needs to get back to school once all this is in writing. Yeah, I'll probably be able to get back by afternoon classes, Madison said. All right, in that case, I'll see you in a few hours. Her mother put her coat back on the coat rack. That pie really does sound good. If I have any further questions, I'll come back by and grab a slice, Jeremy said conversationally in passing. Sure. Madison's mother held the door open and Madison followed Jeremy out. Thanks for making that easy, Jeremy said once her mother had closed the door behind them. As they were walking down the sidewalk to his car, Madison noticed him take his hand out of his coat pocket meaning he very well could have been ready to simplify his life in whatever way possible. He turned to her. It would be weird if you left your car here, so get in your Hyundai and follow me. Maybe we should exchange numbers if we get separated, Madison said. Jeremy snorted. Don't worry, I'll find you. Madison got into her car and followed Jeremy out of the neighborhood. He took her up onto the freeway. She followed at a reasonably close distance. They exited into an area that was known as the ritzy part of town. Rather than the tight-knit prefab housing, there were sprawling fields with big estates off the two-lane highway ahead. This was the kind of place where if you asked the realtor how much the property taxes were, they'd just laugh at you. Jeremy's sable's brake lights lit up. 
He waited for an overly large truck to pass as he slowed to a stop. He didn't use a turn signal, but went left through a gate that was part of a matching black wrought iron fence onto a long asphalt drive through the field beneath the overcast sky. They drove for two minutes toward a mansion of a house beneath the shade of a number of large oak trees. The paint of the house was white. The driveway continued to an open garage bay that was full of high-end cars. Jeremy parked by a small sidewalk that wound up to the front of the house and got out. Madison got out of her car and followed him silently up the sidewalk. Jeremy turned to her halfway to the house. Listen, I imagine you're probably freaked out about being a lone woman going into some strange wealthy man's house. Jeremy stopped for a second and pursed his lips as he met her eyes. I'm not really much for consoling people, but I could have had you killed a dozen times already. Could have disappeared you and your mom without anyone having the first clue what happened to either of you. But I haven't done that. You've got one of the insurance safety trackers in your car, which means the GPS knows where you are. So? Madison gave him a quizzical look. It means no one's gonna hurt you in here, so fucking relax. He turned back to the house and continued to the steps that led to the wraparound porch. There were two upper wraparound decks to the building that climbed almost higher than the ancient, gnarled oaks that reached freely into the sky throughout the property. Madison followed him up the steps to the front threshold double doorway that was open. A central set of steps went to the second floor that rounded openly to several rooms. The third floor could be seen, but Madison didn't see any steps leading up to it. Jeremy led her left through a large dining room with a massively long wooden table with multiple preset plates and silverware already positioned at each chair. She heard someone talking on the phone in the kitchen around the corner. The two entered into a luxurious kitchen space. A man in his late twenties sat at the bar at the far end of the room next to the back door that was open to allow a breeze. Well, that sounds just fine, he said. I'll see you then. Okay. Bye. He got up from the bar and grabbed a cane that was resting against the wall under his chair. He was a tall man with a beard and mustache. His hairline was receding from his widow's peak, so he buzzed it daily down to a short stubble. He wore a pair of brown slacks and a nice sky-blue polo shirt. The man turned to greet them. Good morning. You must be Madison Chalmers. I'm Stephen Viceroy. He took a few steps with his hand outstretched. Madison shook his hand, noticing that it felt unnaturally cold, like he had just put his hand into the refrigerator. He noticed and smiled as he pocketed his hand. I have very poor circulation in my fingers and toes, something I have always had. I typically get cold and stay cold for most of my days, even in the summers. That sounds useful, said Madison. Speaking of useful, his eyebrows widened. What did you think of the ring? I didn't like destroying my outfit, Madison answered. Other than that, I didn't really think anything of it. Really? Stephen dropped those eyebrows to a glare. You have the power to essentially become a person who does not exist, and you, like everyone else twenty and younger, he gave a mock yawn. Boring. I just don't have the time or resources to utilize something like that, Madison shrugged. Well, probably better it fell into your hands than some prepubescent boy who would likely use the ring for nefarious purposes. Unfortunately, the ring is cursed. Stephen cocked his brow when he said this. Madison gave a nervous laugh. What do you mean? It is stuck with you. For life, said Stephen. I mean, it works just fine as a ring, but the actual power the ring has will only work for you. It's bonded to you. It's just the way it is. So is there any way to get rid of the bond? 
Stephen looked to Jeremy. Well, yes, as you probably already knew, but I'm fairly confident you won't like that route. So, he touched his lips with his fingers. I thought, maybe we see if you'll be willing to help us. There's a lot of money involved, more than you can possibly fathom. But all the hard work will be done by the wearer of that ring. What if I don't want to do what you're asking? Madison asked. Stephen raised his hands in a shrug. There's only one way to break the bond so far as anyone has known since the time of Solomon. And yes, that's the Solomon from the Bible. That's how old the ring is, at the very least. We're not gonna ask anything immoral of you except maybe theft, which is basically the gig, said Jeremy. Stephen nodded. The ability for you, Madison, to enter a place and then exit as Thomas. That's how this works. I'm gonna train you to count cards, kid, said Jeremy. We're gonna clean out some casinos, hit some art shops and jewelry stores. I have so much work for you and Thomas it's not even funny. You're gonna be a very wealthy young lady by the end of this. Those are Jeremy's ideas, said Stephen. I have more thoughtful plans for the ring. It was supposed to go to me, but well... He sighed, looking down at his leg. Doesn't look like I'd be very convincing as Stephen or Stephanie. And Jeremy and Jessica. That's no fun either. Jeremy rolled his eyes. I know this isn't how you expected your life to go out of the gate, but this is a pretty big opportunity, Stephen said and raised his hands. You don't have to answer now, but think about it. You want to bust your ass in a coffee shop with barely enough time to do your schoolwork? Or you want to go to college on your own time, on your own money, with no loans or payments at whatever school your heart desires? Just gotta do a little work now and then for us, Jeremy said. Stephen walked over to Jeremy and put his arm around his shoulder. Jeremy is mastermind. He's not gonna screw this up. He's already thought of everything. Just do whatever he tell you. Watch, learn, execute, get paid, live your best life. It's that simple. You guys act like you're giving me a choice, said Madison. My only alternative is to die because you're not going to let me just keep the ring without helping you, and there's only one way to break the bond. Stephen and Jeremy exchanged a worried look. Stephen licked his lips and put his hands into his pockets. No one asked for things to go this way. Not you, not us. We made some mistakes trusting the last guy not to skip out on us, which he tried. You made the mistake of putting on the ring. Now here we are. Give us three good jobs, said Jeremy, and then you can choose to keep doing more or say forget it and we all go our separate ways. Three jobs is more than enough to make us all very rich. You do whatever you want after that. Madison thought about this for what felt like a long time. She sighed and swallowed hard. I guess I can try. I do like the idea of going into school without debt. Yeah, and you can get out of that lousy coffee shop too, Jeremy said. You should know that there's a 100,000 sign-on bonus, Stephen said, smirking when Madison's eyes lit up. But it's mostly funding so you can purchase the required resources for your coming assignments. I'm still having trouble understanding what you want me to do specifically, said Madison. I don't see how being able to change my face helps short a casino. That was just one of my ideas, said Jeremy. Think about it this way. Why don't you steal something from just anywhere? Because it's wrong? Madison asked in response. Jeremy made a strained face like this was going to be a more difficult explanation than he was anticipating. You don't steal things from, say, Walmart or Target because if you get caught it might ruin your life. You, Madison Chalmers. But you never met Thomas. He's a career grifter and thief who has the worst reputation imaginable. 
Thomas can do whatever unconscionable thing he feels like and people will judge him, but not Madison. Madison is a totally different person. He's like being a superhero, Stephen said. I got lots of ideas, but I gotta know we can trust you first. If you just flip out and disappear, number one, that wouldn't be good for you or your family. And number two, I don't want you to make off with all my plans. We are asking you to trust us, said Stephen. Trust is a two-way street. Your second identity is yours. You don't even need to show us who you are if you don't want to. As Jeremy implied, you could always put the ring on and never be seen or heard from again. If you do choose to work with us, you can choose when you'd like to become an official member of our team. What does that mean? It means if you're on board, said Jeremy, you have to show me your other side so I can get you a proper passport, driver's license, and fingerprint history. I got a guy, but we only do that when you're ready. This is a lot to process, Madison said. We'll give you some time to think about it, Stephen nodded. A video call ringer chimed from his computer. I hate to cut this short, but this is rather important. Please think about it, Madison. Stephen shook her hand and hobbled to the computer to answer the call. Jeremy led her back through the house and down the steps to the front. It's a big ask, I know. And I know we're not giving you a whole lot of options on how to go forward. I wish I could be more candid, but I can't. You think about it and get back to me. If you really need to call me, here's my number. He gave her a sticky note with his number on it. Madison nodded. Talk to you soon, Jeremy said. Madison didn't say anything else as she went back to her car. She put her seatbelt on, realizing that her hands were shaking. Jeremy remained standing next to his car with his hands in his pockets, giving her the death stare. She put the car into reverse, turned around, and drove off. Only when she was halfway down the asphalt driveway did he turn and slide back into his car. She turned back onto the highway and headed for the freeway. It would take her 25 minutes to get back to school. The rest of the day passed in a slog compared to the morning. Her teachers spoke, but she didn't hear anything. Her friends laughed and nudged her, but she didn't respond. She thought about the man who had died, saw him shakily fumbling for the ring. She remembered all the blood she had to clean. It was already on her hands, on her conscience, and yet Jeremy and Stephen wanted to pile more on. Knowing she was effectively helpless as a human being in her current state, Madison called in sick for work that evening and stayed home. She ate some dinner with her parents, responding to them without thinking as she kept moving. The moment the dishes were done, she went straight to bed and stared at the ceiling until morning. 4. Madison didn't hear from Jeremy or Stephen, but was contacted by the actual police while she was at work three days after meeting with the two of them. A city detective told her one of the cameras at the pizza buffet place across the street caught what looked like a person struggling from a gunshot wound on the playback. The manager sent the video file to the police, and they wanted to know if she saw anything. This probably would have happened right around closing time for you. Did you see anything? Maybe a weird vehicle lingering around the area? The detective asked. No, I don't remember seeing anything. Madison shook her head. Video showed a guy parking and getting out in front of your building. Your door is facing away from the camera's view, but the car was there for long enough that you would have likely seen something. The car is like an older person's car, like something your grandparents would drive. A Lincoln, Mercury, or Volvo. One of those, the man pressed. I was in the back, logging the numbers on the manager's computer, said Madison. I kept coming up short and had to call one of the girls who was on shift earlier. She said she took a bunch of checks. Who pays for coffee with a check? 
Yeah, that's... The detective trailed off, sighing. That's weird. Well, if you do remember something, or if someone else remembers something in passing, here's my card. We got very little, and any information would be extremely helpful. I will absolutely call if I hear anything, Madison said. She had dozens of miserable customers that night. Everyone seemed to be channeling her lousy mood. Part of the problem is that her brain was elsewhere. It was constantly out of her head on other things, other opportunities, other options. She had seriously considered disappearing into thin air. She could, as Stephen had mentioned. She could bring some of her father's clothes, change at school, leave her phone in the class, and just walk. She wouldn't even be able to take money out of the bank. It was an option few people had, but it didn't come without setbacks. As hard as it is to believe, you can't be a nobody. You need a driver's license, a social security number, and a bank account to do almost anything. It was a bleak life to transform into a man and walk off into the wilderness. Maybe Jeremy wouldn't find her, but she would spend the rest of her life looking over her shoulder being unable to enjoy any sort of quality of life. On the other hand, if she gave in and helped the two, the possibilities were endless. At what cost, however? She would essentially be a criminal, and yet it was laughable that she kept thinking she had a choice. The full realization came to her that night after the detective's visit while she was closing. It was over. She had no choice in the matter. Disappearing was hardly an option. Why delay the inevitable? She had put on the ring and it was her responsibility to face the consequences. There were three equally shitty choices before her. Help the criminals and live a potentially glamorous life. Disappear and live a horribly subpar life. Or die. That was it. If disappearing wasn't to her taste, then dying certainly wasn't on the menu either. That solved it then. She put in her two weeks' notice to the manager that evening. A weight of responsibility was lifted from her shoulders at that point. She had accepted the open-ended possibilities that lay within her new life. The lack of choice gave her freedom. It was odd that she could feel that way. Or was this some kind of Stockholm Syndrome where the hostage, and she was a hostage, there was no doubt about that, gave in and helped their captors. It didn't really matter. She could always tell the detective everything, see if he could put her in a witness protection program. Jeremy's resourcefulness prevented her from moving forward on that. From the very beginning, it felt as though she was a pawn that had somehow reached the opposite end of the chessboard. She had power now, but throughout this entire short game that had unfolded so far, she had been checked, pushed, and forced into submission by her opponent. At every point, she had been headed off by Jeremy's foresight. He had total control of every other situation she'd been made aware of. Why wouldn't he have covered this one? She still planned to make a move, but she would only do so when she was fully clear that it was the best move for her and her family. Until then, she would have to go along with Jeremy's game. Two weeks passed slowly. After closing on her final day and placing her apron upon the sun cash manager's office chair, Madison withdrew her phone and texted Jeremy, I'm in. 5. One would think having a ring that instantly changes them to the opposite sex would be intriguing, but Madison was terrified of it. She had only been Thomas for a short time, but during that previous transition she had felt things. Madison was a clear-headed person, but she felt duller as Thomas, simpler. She had to put the ring back on and become familiar with her other side, so she took off her clothes in her bedroom and slid the ring onto her finger. The weight of Thomas struck her like a punch to the stomach. Her whole body jumped 80 pounds. 
She didn't know why the name Thomas was brought up by Stephen and Jeremy, but for whatever reason it had stuck. It was an odd feeling, almost like playing a video game on hard settings, then switching them to normal. Madison had never thought being a man would be so unfulfilling. There was so much more to do and think about as a woman. The perspective was broader when she was Madison. Now, she was far less coordinated. Her fingers felt slower, stubbier. Trying to walk was a strange adjustment. She had been so used to carrying herself by her chest, to do that now made her look silly. She had to actively roll her shoulders forward and walk with what felt like a hunch to feel normal. She was staring at herself in the mirror when she heard it. Madison's eyes widened as the hurried footsteps of her little sister rushed to the door. The door swung open, and her younger sister Tanya stopped dead in her tracks. Madison, as Thomas and only a pair of their father's boxers, locked eyes with her little sister. Tanya screamed and ran. Madison took off the ring and grabbed her robe from behind the door. She chased after her, wrapping herself in the robe as she pounded down the hall after her toward the kitchen where their parents were preparing breakfast. Tanya, how many times do I have to tell you not to scream in the house? Their father yelled. Miraculously, Madison reached the kitchen at the same time as Tanya. Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad! Tanya yelled as she pranced in place. She is about to tell you the biggest load of crap! Madison yelled, cutting through the silence as Madison secured her robe's belt. What is going on? Their mother turned around in place in front of the oven. Tanya doesn't know how not to bust into people's rooms, Madison yelled. Tanya, aghast that her sister had thrown her directly under the bus, displayed a level of wisdom that Madison didn't expect from her arrogant little sister. Whatever, Tanya held up her finger with a nasty smile on her lips. I just saw. Madison probably has a very good explanation. Tanya's face was beet red as all the insinuation of the situation wanted to burst from her whole body. What? What happened? Their father glared between them. Nothing, Madison answered overdramatically. Get your ass in the hall and stop messing with me. She grabbed Tanya's arm and pulled her away from their parents. Oh my god, oh my god, Tanya whispered with tears in the corners of her eyes. You are in so much trouble. Trouble for what, you little brat? You can't prove anything because there's nobody in my room. Madison whispered back. I saw what I saw. Tanya stared at the floor past them. Listen, I know what you think you saw, and I know everybody says this in the movies, but it's absolutely not what it looks like, Madison stated. I hope you guys used a condom because you're not even out of high school yet, Madison, Tanya said. Madison licked her lips. She had experienced so many new things in such a short period of time, and another new one was the strong urge to deck her sister in the face. She looked down and then up to meet her sister's eyes. You didn't see anything. She spoke slowly, glaring at her sister. Madison pushed past Tanya and went back to her room. Tanya followed her. Madison was glad. She opened her door and showed off the emptiness to her sister. See? Nobody. Whatever you think you saw, it wasn't what you thought. I swear to God. Tanya swallowed hard, looking at the cluttered bedside cabinet beneath the window that was covered. It would have been impossible for someone to get it open to escape without making a huge mess while leaving the blinds askew. She dropped to the floor to look under the bed, then opened the closet door. Tanya turned back to her older sister, squinting. I'm watching you, Madison. I'm no fool. Whatever. Knock next time. Madison rolled her eyes and pushed Tanya out before slamming the door closed. She took a deep breath and sighed. Madison decided to do things a little differently. She was going to have to make boundaries, create rules, and follow a system for how to transform. She couldn't risk another Tanya incident. 
Nothing from her male life could carry over to her female life. The two worlds should never cross unless she was doing a job. It was a rare Saturday where she didn't have very much to do. All of her homework was wrapped up by noon, and that gave her enough time to write several letters to her favorite colleges. Madison really wanted to see if she could get into USC and possibly study engineering. She had a number of backup schools lined up, but she wrote them without heart or real interest. Getting them done and sending them was the hardest part. Once she was done with that, she had scheduled to take the ACT-SAT the following week so it was study time, even though she knew almost everything they might throw at her. College was coming, and she couldn't be more excited about getting into it. Jeremy's phone number popped up on her phone. Madison answered it on the third ring. Hello? Afternoon, he drawled. Hope you've had a little time to get your other self in order. Got a pretty good idea here in about three weeks if you've got time. Madison looked at the clock. It was 3.30 in the afternoon. I can meet you. Remember how to get to our friend's house, right? Jeremy asked. Yeah. See you shortly, he hung up. Madison lowered her phone and then started getting dressed. When she opened the door to her bedroom, Tanya jumped back before scampering back to her room next to hers. Madison made a face at her as she entered the corridor, closing her room door behind her. There was no lock, so it didn't really matter. Tanya could get in whenever she wanted. Where are you going, Madison? Tanya asked sheepishly. Who are you meeting? She whispered after. I'm getting out of the house so I don't feel like a prisoner here with you, Madison remarked and walked past her sister's room. Tanya grabbed her wrist. Madison stopped and turned to look at her. Who was it? Her eyes pleaded. You have to tell me. I promise I won't tell anyone. Listen, maybe I'll explain to you one day, but it's not going to be right now, said Madison. All I can say is whoever you think you saw this morning, that person literally does not exist. Seriously. But I saw him, Tanya protested. I don't know what to tell you, Madison shrugged. I'm actually not lying when I say that I was the only person in my room all day. Take that however you need. Tanya was speechless as her older sister left the house and went to her car. Madison felt relieved to be away from her, but Tanya was persistent. She was also a skeptic which was weird because she had a strange fascination with UFOs, Bigfoot, and the Loch Ness Monster. She had a copy of the infamous photo of the Loch Ness Monster framed on her wall. Madison had always assumed it was fake or a trick of the light, but her sister being into far-out ideas was likely spawning innumerable outlandish theories in her pea-sized brain. Madison would have to find a way to explain it properly to her, but compromising her secret this early when she barely had a secret felt foolish. Hopefully, Tanya would just do the right thing and assume her older sister was lying and seeing some dude that looked weirdly like her. There was no way Tanya saw her as Thomas for longer than a few seconds. It was unlikely that she would put two and two together. The Tanya situation was a problem, but Madison put the concern on the back burner as she pulled onto the asphalt drive of Stephen's estate. She parked behind Jeremy's sable, got out, and made her way up the sidewalk to the steps of the house. The front door was open as it had been last time. Madison entered and found Jeremy in the kitchen again, preparing a pot of coffee. Stephen was nowhere in sight. So, what do you think of Thomas? Jeremy asked. Is Thomas really the name? Madison asked. I don't know yet. I haven't seen you in character, Jeremy said. A toilet from nearby flushed, and a minute later, Stephen entered the room on his cane. Good afternoon, Madison, Stephen said. So, you've decided to join our team. Team, Jeremy scoffed. It's just us three. For now, said Stephen. Really, I only called you here so we could get the formalities out of the way. 
You'll need your sign-on money, but unfortunately it's going to be in cash. You'll need to spend as you go as you need it. If you need more money, just let me know. 100,000 should be sufficient. Jeremy withdrew a digital Canon 35mm camera and folded out the playback screen. Go to the bathroom and change. There should be a pair of slacks and a shirt in there. My guy needs a photo of you so we can get the ball rolling on your identification. Really? Right now? Madison asked. Yeah, when else? Jeremy asked. Did you think we were calling you here so we could eat bonbons and watch movies? No, it's still just strange being Thomas, Madison sighed. So far as we know, there's no cost to transforming, and no limit to how long you can remain in form, said Jeremy. You should spend a few days as Thomas. I'm 17, almost 18 years old, Madison said. I don't have time to spend days being someone else. Well, figure it out, kid, or else you'd better be a pretty damn good actor, because if you look wrong, you're gonna raise red flags. People know when people act like people. They notice when people don't act like people, Jeremy shook his head. Okay. Madison went into the bathroom where Stephen had just exited and found a pair of slacks and white dress shirt Jeremy had given to her. Both were three sizes too large. Madison's Thomas wasn't drastically larger than her. She swallowed hard as she looked into the mirror with the white sleeves of the shirt rolled up on her hairy forearms. This is crazy, she said in her man's voice. Madison left the bathroom and slowly entered the kitchen. Nice, Jeremy nodded. Short hair and everything. How do you think it pulls that off? According to the legend, began Stephen, it has to do with the bearer's animus, or anima, if you're a man to begin with. To put it simply, it's the male form of her own conscious self-image. Deep, Jeremy squinted as he looked at her. You know, you gotta carry yourself differently. Like, you walk like a girl because you're self-conscious and you're in high school and you think you gotta walk a certain way. Thanks, Madison said snidely. It didn't carry over properly in the male voice. What I mean is, try to walk like a gorilla, like you're bigger than your body, said Jeremy. Madison walked across the kitchen, throwing her fists with her stride. Jeremy laughed. I didn't think this would be that big of an adjustment. Give her some time, said Stephen. She's probably barely getting used to her own body at this stage in her life. You know, this whole putting me under the microscope thing is really condescending, Madison said. Is that what a man would say? Jeremy asked Stephen. Would a guy get all fluffy over some random comments? Stephen leveled his gaze upon Jeremy. Give her time, he repeated. Jeremy rolled his eyes. All right, Thomas. Let's get the photos out of the way. Then you can be whoever you want to be on your own dime. Jeremy got shots of her as Thomas. She felt strange. Two men she had only recently met, taking photos of her, of Thomas. It wasn't sexual, but she imagined reading the playback from her parents' perspective. They would never look at her the same again. They could never know. She didn't even want to think about what they might say. Madison took a deep breath after the stoic passport photos. Good enough, I think, said Jeremy, looking back through the pictures. So how does it feel? Do you have any, like, anatomy questions you need us to answer? I'm not used to having so much hair everywhere, said Madison. It doesn't feel right. There are always solutions. One cool thing I learned is that if you change something on your mail form, it'll stay there. Allegedly. Never seen it in action myself. That is interesting, said Madison. Before the guy in the coffee shop, where did the ring come from? Let's just say I have a pretty good fence that doesn't like meeting people face to face. That means we gotta mule high-value items in order to acquire them, Jeremy explained. 
Stephen laughed. She has no idea what any of that means. I'll make it crystal clear as I explain your first job, began Jeremy. He licked his lips and thought for a second how to proceed. So our fence is a guy I'll name Q. That's it. Just Q. You don't see him and he probably does see you because Q is a guy who's aware of everything. What's a fence? Madison asked. A fence is a person who can receive... Jeremy pursed his lips as he found his wording. Curiously acquired items. Just say stolen, Stephen sighed. She's not wearing a wire or anything, so let's not beat around the bush. A fence is a person who takes stolen goods and has the resources and buyers to distribute them. I see, and you mentioned a mule? Madison asked. Jeremy smiled. Muling is just a term for when you drop something somewhere common for someone else to acquire at a later time. But anyway, back to the first job. All you're gonna do is receive the item as Thomas, sometimes via the fence's instructions. Then, you travel to the nearest public restroom, change back into Madison, poof. Jeremy made a silent explosion with his hand. The item has effectively disappeared with Thomas. So the stuff I'm grabbing, I'm not going to have to steal it myself? Madison asked. No way, Jeremy laughed. Your first mission is to pick up the perfect pink. It's an emerald-cut diamond that's worth $23 million, known for its intense pink color. Think I'd ask a 17-year-old girl to steal a $23 million diamond? Probably not, Madison drawled. Yeah, no shit. It was sold to an unknown bidder in 2010, but, uh... Jeremy mopped his silvery white beard stubble. Things happen. What do I do after I pick up the... item? Madison flared Thomas's eyebrows. That's where the true beauty of Thomas comes in said Jeremy. The owner of the diamond already knows it's stolen. The guy is worth $52 billion. The negotiation price has already been set. The chess pieces have already been in play. The money will already have been received. All you have to do is go directly to the owner and give him his diamond back. What? Fear iced through Madison's, Thomas's, insides. What if he kills me? Why would he kill you? You're a nobody, a between man that technically doesn't exist. Jeremy said. But won't the owner be mad that someone stole from him? Madison asked. Jeremy looked past Thomas and thought. Uh, I'm not going to tell you there's no chance of some form of altercation. But like I said, killing you would be spiteful as the money has already been paid out. And then this guy has to disappear a fucking body. People typically don't want to deal with that, especially since they've paid the convenience fee. Madison made a noise with Thomas's mouth. You actually mean I'm disposable. If I get off, then this whole exchange, then meh, whatever, you were going to kill me anyway. That is not true, Stephen interjected. It's not not true, Jeremy shrugged. No, Madison, if you really want to know how sleazy this whole deal is, do you want to know how I am retired at my relatively young age? Stephen asked. I'm not bragging, and I'm fairly confident you won't have much respect for me after I tell you the answer. How? Madison asked. I am privately outfit impenetrable security systems for, you guessed it, high value up to invaluable and beyond items. Yes, I fund the theft of an item, negotiate down the exchange to about 10% of the cost of said item, then sell the victim a new system to secure their goods once and for all. That, said Madison, is monstrous. Stephen shrugged. No more monstrous than paying for retirement for 50 years than dying shortly thereafter. Yeah, but you ripped the guy off both ways, Madison said. 
but I also provide an invaluable service that will keep their items safe indefinitely going forward. Everybody wins in the end. What do you care, Thomas? You don't exist. And Madison is just a secretary I hired today that works for my company. You should only come here as Madison from now on, said Jeremy. And get a second car, probably a second living space once we get your ID squared away. Try to maintain two different lives for the most part. Just curious, said Madison. What's my take for this job? Jeremy and Stephen exchanged a look. Stephen swallowed. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's your cut. It'll be more if you keep working with us. Two hundred and fifty grand to pick up a bag and deliver it, Jeremy said. And don't worry about taxes and accounting. I got a guy for that. I'll give you his number. As per our usual arrangement, I'm in, but not necessarily out of choice, Madison said. Knowing what you know, would you turn it down if you did have a choice? Jeremy asked. Madison thought for a second about that. I don't know. Look at that. Jeremy shook his head as he smirked at Stephen. With kids selling out on TikTok every day, twerking and showing off their tits for likes, we were the only ones unfortunate enough to find a millennial with a conscience. Say what you will about influencers, but at least they're not ripping people off, Madison said. Yeah, right. I should take a photo of myself with sunglasses in front of Stephen's Gulf Stream and post it on Instagram. My soul is definitely still intact, Jeremy said facetiously. Enough, you two, Stephen said. Madison, three jobs. You do whatever you want after that. Madison changed back to herself and changed back into her clothes. She exited and paused in the kitchen adjacent to Stephen and Jeremy. It's a lot harder to not like you when you're Madison. Much preferred, honestly, Jeremy said. Madison rolled her eyes. So when should I come back? It'll be when your ID comes in a few weeks from now. Your job is the week before Christmas, said Stephen. Jeremy will contact you with the location information. Until then, I recommend learning self-defense, possibly acquiring a weapon once you get your ID. Obtain a second vehicle, and definitely upgrade your wardrobe for Thomas. That you can get started on today. Stephen nodded toward a briefcase sitting on the countertop nearby. We're putting a lot of trust in you, Madison, Jeremy said. I know it's not ideal, but we do appreciate you helping us. Okay. She grabbed the briefcase by the handle and let it smack against her leg. It was heavier than she expected. Just let me know when I should pick up the ID, she said and bade the two farewell. Madison went back to her car, left the premises, and started the drive home. She sat thoughtlessly at the traffic light, waiting for it to switch from red to green. She glanced over at the briefcase that she had placed in the passenger seat. For whatever reason, she felt like the thing was a bomb. She could see from the third person, her vehicle erupting in flames, an instant death that would solve all of Jeremy and Stephen's problems. Checking to see that the light was still red, she reached over and unclipped both the latches. When she lifted the top, the briefcase was filled to capacity with wrapped $100 bills. No explosion. Someone behind her beeped. Madison dropped the briefcase lid and reflexively stepped on the gas to accelerate into motion. She quickly went home, cautiously searching the front of the house for eyes as she entered. When she saw no one and no one saw her, she hurried into her room to slide the briefcase under her bed. Madison sat on the maid coverlet of her bed, thinking about everything that had happened, everything she was going to have to do, everything that would take place in the coming weeks. She had no idea how absolutely crazy everything would become in the following year, and if she did, she might have chosen to disappear entirely. 6. 
Madison was in world history class when the idea came to her. Mr. Francis asked Gregory Whitmer to answer which pharaoh allegedly commissioned the Great Pyramid. Gregory answered Khufu, and Mr. Francis jokingly replied, A good enough hypothesis. Mr. Francis was both a learned historian and the biggest skeptic Madison had ever met. He railed about the conventional way of thinking and process of scientific data collection, claiming that the whole thing had been politicized to the point where true history couldn't be uncovered properly. Some of the boys knew that to get him started was a good way to bypass any actual learning in favor of Mr. Francis giving them all one of his 45-minute dissertations on why Kennedy couldn't have been killed by a single shooter. The man was one of the best storytellers Madison would ever encounter, and it made him one of her favorite teachers. Once the bell rang and the two entered the hall, Madison slowed next to Gregory. He was a head shorter than her, but in excellent physical shape from being on the swim team. Gregory always wore very nice clothes long-sleeved designer tops with perfectly measured cuffs that fit to his wrists. He'd often wear a bow tie that was always just askew because, according to him, a properly executed bow tie is meant to be imperfect. Sometimes he would wear crimson or hot orange pants that would complement his style for the day. Madison recalled seeing him wait an hour and 45 minutes for the rain to stop before going home because of his Swede pants. Hey, what are you doing Saturday? Madison asked. Probably college hunting like everyone else he answered. Why? Did you want to go out and do something? Not me, she said, but my stepbrother will be in town this weekend and, well, last time we talked during Thanksgiving, well, you know, I'm pretty sure he's falling on one side of the fence. Oh, really? Gregory instantly became interested. Yeah, and he's a pretty nice looking guy. The thing is, he needs some, like, guidance on being dapper, you know? Are you asking me to take your attractive stepbrother shopping on Saturday? I don't know, maybe, Madison smiled. I'll text him and see what he's doing. I just know he got this new job and has some extra money. He's always complaining about not having a fashion sense. I knew you had a sister, Madison, said Gregory, but I had no idea you had a stepbrother. Yeah, same dad, different mom, said Madison, improvising. So he probably looks a little bit like you, Gregory asked. Yeah, a little bit. We don't see each other very often. I'm in, Gregory said. But if you set this whole thing up and got me all excited, and then he cancels, I will be so mad at you, Madison. His name is Thomas, and I'm sure I'll be happy to meet you, Madison said. Becoming Thomas was a high-maintenance endeavor. She was able to buy him a new phone, but the car would have to wait until she had a driver's license. The paperwork was still pending, so going forward with the next layer of options would have to wait. Getting a change of outfits was currently her top priority. Madison paused in the library to search the recent returns for a book Sammy had mentioned, and that's when Jason Warwick did a double-take at her in the library entrance. Madison noticed him, smiled, and tried to ignore him. She knew he had been dating one of the librarian's student assistants at one point, but his growing larger in her peripheral vision was impossible to ignore. She looked over as he stopped nervously next to her. Hey, Madison, he started. Madison didn't even say hello. She just stood there, staring at him with her heart hammering in her chest the way it did when she had to interact with him. So, uh, were you thinking of going to homecoming this year? You mean like the game next Friday? Madison asked. Yeah, he nodded with that jockish smirk. There's gonna be a party at my place after. Probably gonna go on until one or two. Don't worry, my parents totally sanctioned the whole thing. Definitely going to be drinking, he loudly whispered the last part. The librarian assistant hissed from the front desk nearby. Yeah, sure, 
Madison whispered, realizing that she was grinning like an idiot. Okay, text you the address later. Can't wait. He waved, mouthed an apology at the assistant, and hurried out of the library. Madison watched him go, imagining a party scenario where the two might find themselves close. She grabbed a book from the returned books and stared at it, not seeing it for a long time. She bit her lip, eyes glazed at the prospect of feeling his lips on hers. They'd be sitting alone somewhere, away from the rest of the party and no one else would be around. She would have said something funny, then he would laugh. They'd lock eyes, then foolishly the two would become magnets and lock together like they do in the movies. It was totally possible. Madison realized that she was holding a paperback science fiction book upside down as she stared through it. Putting the book back, she continued searching for the book Sammy mentioned but couldn't find it. She left the library and headed for the next class. Saturday came quickly. Madison had already set up her phone for Thomas and had been in a short text exchange with Gregory. They were to meet at the Suncash in the mall next to the Brooks Brothers store so they could get right to business. Did Madison seriously tell you I was gay? Madison exhaled a fake nervous laugh through Thomas across from Gregory. Gregory's face went a shade pinker. Not in so many words, Gregory said. Well, I'm still young and I haven't quite figured it out. Thomas took a nonchalant sip of his coffee. Gregory nodded. His poker face was strong as usual. Well, just so you're aware, I'm gay and your stepsister basically asked me to dress you like a Ken doll. You do have a particularly good fashion sense, Thomas remarked. Gregory's expression remained stoically the same, a small perpetual grin playing on his lips. Today, Gregory was wearing a long-sleeved white shirt with tiny diamonds patterned far apart throughout the fabric. His pants were brown and his shoes were black. His short brown hair was parted down his left side and gelled to reflect the fine separation of the comb through his locks. The two spent the next six hours together. Gregory drove Thomas and his Lexus to different department stores to find all kinds of different outfits. By the end, Thomas had acquired almost a dozen different outfits that all made him actually look like a man who knew how to dress. Madison had never seen the subtly flirtatious side of Gregory before, but found it charming. She wasn't gay or a man, but if she was, she might have considered a relationship a valid possibility. In the end, they pulled up next to the mall where Thomas said he'd wait for Madison to pick him up. Well, tell Madison she was way off, Gregory said. What do you mean? Thomas said from the passenger seat. You. I don't know what you are, but you're not gay, Gregory said. Honestly, I get a strong asexual feeling from you. Maybe that's what Madison was picking up on. I don't even know what that means, Thomas said. Gregory shrugged. Look it up. Have a good one, Thomas. You have my number if you want to hang out again. Thanks for the shoes. Thomas waved and returned to the mall to enter the bathroom where she changed back into Madison again. Her car was parked on the opposite side of the mall so she could go straight home. When she exited the opposite entrance, she almost had a heart attack as Jeremy darted from the side of the building toward her. He grabbed her arm and crossed the street with her. What the hell you think you're doing interacting with someone from your personal life? I, she stammered, thought it would be okay. So here's a hypothetical, he said. We do our job and they get photos of Thomas off a security camera and send them to the police. Thomas's face ends up splashed wherever, and this jackass you spent the day with recognizes you. If Thomas is just an extra part of Madison's life, it negates the whole idea of what Thomas is supposed to represent. Uh, okay, I think I get it, Madison said. Try to think through everything you're gonna do as Thomas. It's gotta be like oil and water, Madison, totally separate. 
But whatever you do, don't let shit like this happen again. Are you following me? Madison asked. There's a lot of money involved here, and it's in our best interest to make sure the job doesn't get screwed up by foolish activities on the side. Jeremy poked at her with his finger. He reached into the pocket of his coat to withdraw an envelope. Here, go do something productive now that you've got your identification. See you in a few weeks. She watched him turn and head back for his sable that was parked a few spots from her. Madison took the envelope and shoved it in her coat pocket before picking up her bags again to go to her car to shove them in the back seat. She drove past Jeremy and glanced at him in his car as he continued staring down at his phone. He was such an asshole. She quickly got on the freeway to go home. 250000 That was her take. It must have been a small fraction of the larger amount of money they would blackmail into their Swiss bank accounts. Was she a fool for not demanding more? It was the first job. 250k was a ridiculous amount of money to her $50 a week allowance back home. With the money she had already received, she would be well prepared to coast through college without accruing any debt, although it would only take her so far. There would be a second job. If things went smoothly, then she would definitely ask for more. Obtaining an apartment was of the utmost importance. Madison could sense her sister was eager to wreck all of her goings-on by telling her parents what she saw. It was only a matter of time. The day was still young, so Madison changed course and drove to the nice apartment complex down the road and on the opposite side of the freeway to her parents' house. Rent prices were crazy, so she had to call herself lucky to get a place at $1,800 for a month-to-month lease. She filled out all of the paperwork and got the keys to her place that was on the upper floor of the complex building that overlooked the golf course. At last, she was able to stash her clothes and tens of thousands of dollars in a relatively secure location. She was having an anxiety attack with wads of cash sitting in the briefcase and the trunk of her dinky Elantra. During all of this, and in the apartment building, she was supposed to be Thomas exclusively, but since she was alone, Madison slipped the ring off and lay on her freshly cleaned carpet in her unfurnished apartment. This is crazy, she whispered to herself. The party with Jason Morwick went as most high school parties go. Too many people show up, everything gets crazy, and the police always ruin the fun from all the noise complaints. Madison and Jason did have a moment, however. She was not drinking a cup of beer while standing next to the subwoofer because there were so many people. That was the only space left. Jason tried to talk to her, but she couldn't hear what he was saying. Once the police showed up, she tossed the beer she couldn't stand to drink in the grass in the backyard and exited out the back fence that led to a park on the opposite side. Fortunately, the cops weren't arresting anyone, so Madison was able to get in her car and leave. Madison's first semester ended in sleepless nights from all the homework and last-minute assignments her teachers decided to spring on her. But once it was over, everything came to a crashing halt on the school front. She didn't have to be back until the beginning of the following year. That gave her plenty of space to do what she needed with Jeremy and Stephen. Until they were ready, she spent much of her time furnishing her new place. She returned to her parents' house in the evening at around 10, only to find her parents in her room. Both of them looked upset with her. Of course, Tanya was nowhere to be found. Her father had short brown hair and thick black-rimmed glasses, and looked startlingly like Thomas. It would be a problem if the two were ever to encounter one another. Madison hoped that would never happen. What's up? Madison asked. Where were you? Her mother asked. And don't say the coffee shop because I called Sammy and she said you quit. I was out studying, Madison said. The three heard an audible laugh within the silence that followed in the next room from Tanya. Tanya says you've got a boyfriend, her mother continued rattling on. 
She says she saw him here in his underpants. What the hell is going on with you, Madison? I don't have a boyfriend, said Madison as she rolled her eyes. There was no one in my room. Tanya's just imagining things. If you want me to be honest, I have a new job. She turned to her parents. The two waited for her to formulate an explanation. It's a little complicated because I'm new, but I work for a high-end security company that secures invaluable items for, like, museums and stuff, Madison said. Are you having sex, Madison? Her mother completely derailed the conversation. No, I'm not having sex, Mom, she yelled. How could you even ask me that? We just want to make sure you're being safe, her father interrupted. We know kids need to explore, and we want to be supportive. Oh, my God, Madison massaged her forehead. You guys couldn't be farther from the mark. Listen, if what you guys believe is true was actually true, I would just tell you I have a boyfriend. Her parents exchanged a defeated look. I am very busy with my schoolwork, said Madison, and sometimes I just drive. I don't know. Sometimes I just drive to Oklahoma at night, or sit in a coffee shop in Dallas for three hours and write in my notebook. I can't explain any of that, but I'm not seeing anyone. That much I swear is true. Okay, her mother said. But you never explained what happened with that strange policeman that came by here. When I was at the coffee shop, I was closing and some guy who got shot ran by. She had already prepared for this explanation. That's it. I had to put it in writing at the police station. We can go pull up the police report online if you want to see it. No, it's fine. Her mother didn't call her bluff, thankfully, but Madison didn't think she would. That and being busy is why I quit working at the coffee shop, continued Madison. I'll tell you more about my new work when I know more. I've only met the owner twice. He's pretty cool. Both her parents sighed, appearing unfulfilled in their inquiry. They didn't get many solid answers and none of Madison's information could be verified. They would have to take her word for it. And for now, that's all they could do. I'm not having sex. Jesus, would you guys please? Madison gave her mother and father a hug. After they gave up and disappeared into other parts of the house, Madison, having changed into her pajamas and a t-shirt, knocked on Tanya's door. Tanya appeared in the opening, glaring at Madison. Madison swallowed hard. Can you keep a secret? Tanya's eyes widened. Are you going to tell me about your boyfriend? For God's sake, Madison pinched between her eyes. I don't have a boyfriend! She whispered through gritted teeth. Madison motioned for her to follow. Tanya followed her into her bedroom. Madison closed the door and sat on the edge of her bed with Tanya standing there with her arms crossed. Madison sighed. Promise not to scream? Tanya cocked her head, confused. This wasn't how she expected this conversation to go, and it isn't conventionally how anyone would expect this to go. Close your eyes. Tanya looked left and right, suspicious. Finally, she closed her eyes. Madison held the ring in her fist and put it behind her. Don't scream, Madison said, and put the ring on. She filled out her pajamas, but she had smartly avoided wearing underwear for this demonstration. She wouldn't make that mistake again. Okay, she said in a deep voice. Tanya opened her eyes and stepped back in horror. Her eyes darted up and down through Madison's figure. What? It's okay, said Madison in Thomas's voice. It's just me, he shrugged. Tanya was still speechless. Madison put her hands behind her and changed before Tanya's eyes, closing the ring in her fist before putting her hands in her pockets once more. Better? I wasn't lying when I said I don't have a boyfriend. What? How? Tanya stammered. It's a long story, said Madison. Maybe I'll tell you about it sometime, but for now, keep your stupid mouth shut. 
Tanya just stood there with her mouth open a little as she tried to process the impossible. Her brain couldn't comprehend what it had just witnessed. Come ask me questions later if you want. Just keep it to you and me, okay? Madison asked. Tanya slowly nodded and closed her mouth. It might have made Tanya more confused, but at least the brat wouldn't be conspiring behind Madison's back anymore. If she tattled to her parents, her cred would truly be shot. Madison reclined in her bed, smiling to herself, and that's when she got the text from Jeremy that it was almost go time. 7. Okay, began Jeremy at Stephen's house. He stood in front of a large dry erase board. An elaborate orange square had been drawn at the bottom to represent the estate. He had uncapped a black dry erase marker and made a long track from the square north to a street. Jeremy opened his phone, zoomed in on something, then added some more lines for streets and other items of importance. Way to the east, about four miles, based on the distances, Jeremy drew a green circle representing a neighborhood Walmart. So this is the building, and this is our way station. He pointed at the house, then at the Walmart. You're going to have the diamond, said Stephen to Madison, who was currently going as Thomas. Then you're going to go to the way station, change, then travel on foot to the drop point. The contact has already delivered the money, you're just a delivery boy, Jeremy said. After that, you walk back to the way station, change, job done. Easy as can be. Stephen clasped his fingers together in front of his face. Four miles is a long walk, Madison said. So here's the deal, said Jeremy. We're gonna pay you an exorbitant amount of money to make sure our item arrives in the hands of our recipient. How you do that is up to you. Get creative if you have to. But the reason you're getting paid isn't because you can change into a different person. It's so we don't have to get involved at all. I'm 100% on my own after this meeting, Madison asked. This is why you were given your initial money up front, said Stephen. These are the wealthiest of the wealthy. Some of them really hate being stolen from. If you need to learn a martial art or buy a weapon, you should do whatever you feel necessary to finish your job. I only ask that you avoid killing or stealing from the target. What if they try to kill me? Jeremy and Stephen exchanged glances. They might, Jeremy shrugged. No one said this was without risk, said Stephen. But also people don't like killing, from my experience. You see a lot of movies, but in these instances it's a lot of work when most of our victims are just happy to receive their property. So it's entirely up to me how this thing gets into the person's hands. Madison stared at the tiled floor. The two men nodded. Yeah, said Jeremy. Can I just use a drone? Madison asked. I wouldn't recommend it, Jeremy said. You lose the package, you'll wish you were dead. Plus, that shit can all be traced back to you. Okay, so when do we go? Thomas should arrive at the delivery point at precisely six o'clock this evening, Stephen said. Madison's eyes widened to see that it was already almost 4.30. You should leave any electronics and devices at your house, said Jeremy. Don't bring headphones or keys, nothing. Here, I'll give you my analog watch, but give it back later. He took off his watch and handed it to Thomas. Madison wrapped and latched it around Thomas's wrist. Just one quick job. Stephen approached Thomas and Jeremy. He slowly reached into his breast pocket to withdraw a small red pouch. He held it for a minute as he met Thomas's eyes. I'm trusting you with $23 million for the amount we've agreed upon. Should you fulfill this service, I'll give you a bonus of $100,000 to the amount we've already agreed. Does that sound fair? 
So you're going to give me $350,000? Mazin asked. 250000 for the first job, and an extra 100000 as a bonus, yes. But only if you agree to the second job. Stephen placed the diamond in Thomas's outstretched hand. Best not even look at it. Thomas put the rocky item that was encased in the red velvet pouch into his pocket. Well, I'd better be off. I've got a four-mile walk with a $23 million rock in my pocket ahead of me. Be careful, Madison, Jeremy said. Come back on Tuesday, said Stephen. Jeremy will text you when, but just text the letter D to Jeremy when you're finished tonight. In and out in one piece. We're counting on you, and don't forget that we need you, Madison. Okay, Thomas swallowed hard, feeling heavier from the diamond in his jacket pocket. Madison took an awkward moment to look between them with the diamond clutched in her hand in her jacket pocket. She turned around and hurried out of the house. Getting into her Hyundai, she took off the ring to transform into Madison in the driver's seat. She had gotten used to wearing thermal underwear and track pants to compensate for the transformation when she needed to. Initially, Madison had thought Jeremy would scold her for bringing her car to Stephen's house, but the job required her to become Madison during the time she would be driving her car, not Thomas's. It was strange that Madison had to plan her day so thoughtfully to account for potential logistical consistencies. Madison would be spending two hours in the Walmart, while Thomas would spontaneously exit and enter on the edges of that time. Whoever was watching the security cameras might be confused if they noticed, but that was the beauty of Thomas. Madison set the GPS to the store and started her 30-minute drive to Flower Mound. The estate sat on the edge of Grapevine Lake. Madison was a bit unnerved about the distance between her target and her change point. Four miles was nothing to sneeze at, and she was unfamiliar with the area which could make it doubly confusing. Her heart hammered in her chest as she saw the Walmart building come into view. Pulling into a parking space at the back of the lot, Madison got out and made the trek to the department store building. She entered through the open glass front door, walked past the greeter lady, and hooked an immediate left to go to the restrooms. Madison went into the men's room instead of the women's room. There was a man peeing in the urinal, but he kept his head forward and didn't notice her go into one of the stalls at the back of the room. Madison put the ring on and felt herself become Thomas. It was 5.23 p.m., just enough time to get to the location. Leaving the restroom, Madison exited the Walmart as Thomas and walked past her car toward the road. She crossed Flower Mound Road via the crosswalk and continued toward the middle school in the neighborhood beyond. She followed the road she had memorized from her phone, following winding paths between high-end homes along streets with French names. At last, she found the entrance to the property where there was an electronic gate. As she approached, the gate suddenly opened. Madison, as Thomas, walked up the driveway and followed the paved path along a neatly forested avenue toward the hulking estate in the distance ahead. The building had literal castle turrets that stood against the sunset sky. Thomas clutched his jacket to himself, seeing a second building on his left as he continued. He followed the path through an elaborate archway that connected to a bridge that led across a pond. Ahead, there was a guest lot that was preceded by a dual set of steps leading to a balcony. Thomas slowly climbed the stairs and made his way through the double wooden doors to the building ahead. The doors opened. A man in a long turquoise kimono robe stepped out. He was older, tall and slender with a permanent frown on his face. His brows were creased upon his forehead between tufts of white hair that rounded the sides of his cranium. Where is my diamond? he demanded, brandishing one of those small magnifying eyeglass devices that jewelers and watch technicians use. 
Thomas looked left and right, checking the surroundings. It was all clear. You do have it, don't you? Yes, I just wanted to be careful, Thomas said. You people are such garbage for this, he raved. What kind of person steals another's property and then tries to sell them a security package to prevent it from happening in the future? Protect your investment, I guess. Don't ask me, I'm just the messenger, Thomas shrugged, producing the diamond from his pocket. He approached the man and gave it to him directly. Thomas stood there for a solid minute while the man exposed the top of the diamond and examined it carefully. Checks out. You guys didn't completely rip me off. But you know how they say, don't shoot the messenger, the elderly man drawled. That only applies when you want to avoid war. The man drew a small remote control device from his pocket and pressed a button. With the diamond in hand, he turned and started back toward the front door to his house. Two trap doors on the sides of the entrance opened, allowing two military-grade robot dogs to exit. Mounted upon the dogs' backs were literal rifles. Madison, in Thomas's bigger body, turned and jogged down the steps. She could hear the mechanized creatures spring to life. Fear solidifying in her chest, Madison began to run. She paced her breathing as she made for the long bridge ahead. A gunshot issued from behind her, followed by an explosion of asphalt that ruptured by her foot. With all the school shootings in the country, they'd had so many instructors or teachers give them advice on how to survive if one found themselves in the line of fire. The weaving technique was a known deterrent to prevent a person from getting a beat on a target. She ran back and forth across the bridge, hearing gunshots, seeing them strike different parts of the path nearby, but she didn't think she had been hit. Reaching the other side of the bridge, she saw another robot dog mount the small hill ahead. It turned its rifle on her, but Madison darted left, hearing the shot ricochet off the archway building for the bridge. The robot dog's L-shaped legs danced in place as it tried to reallocate her position for another shot. The gate that had been so kindly opened in the beginning was now closed. There was an ornate barrier wall next to it that rounded the property. Thomas jogged up the wall to grab the top of the barrier. A shot issued and busted the brick inches below Madison's form a split second before she flew over the wall. Another robot dog jogged out of the shadows next to several construction vehicles on the opposite side. Madison staggered to a stance as she hurried in front of the truck. The robot dog bounded around the corner into the street, and that's when Madison grabbed it and wrestled it to the ground. She made sure it couldn't turn its gun on her, but pried its legs out of place so it couldn't move properly. Getting up, she dropped Thomas's boot upon its fragile form, crushing it into the street. She positioned it so the rifle barrel wasn't facing her exit before she jogged away from the location. Somehow, fifteen minutes later, and drenched with sweat, Madison walked Thomas toward the Walmart where she walked into the men's room, entered the back stall, and transformed into herself again. Security guards be damned. She hurried out of the store and got back into her car. She fumbled with her keys as her hands shook maddeningly. Picking up her phone, her shaking thumb texted three Ds. She deleted two, and then hit send to Jeremy. She sped away from the area and made her way back home. 8. You know, for a guy who talks and acts tough, said Jeremy the following Tuesday, he still bought the premium package from Lockwell, our security service. Looks like I'll be overseeing the installation procedures. We'll see if he thinks it's a smart idea to shoot at me. Jeremy and Stephen were sitting at a nice wooden table on the lower balcony of the wraparound porch of the house. They each had a glass of brandy next to a third empty glass. 
Madison had come as Thomas as instructed. We were waiting for you to arrive, Stephen said, motioning for the seat between them at the table. I know neither of your forms are old enough to drink, but I consider you as much a man as anyone else at this table. It took guts to go in there, Madison, Jeremy said. Madison sat down and took a sip of the brandy. It was one thousand times stronger than the beer she hated drinking and made her eyes spin into the back of her head. She almost coughed but swallowed the burning liquid, punching Thomas's chest with the top of her fist. Was it really as simple as just that? Madison asked. Could have been less simple, Jeremy said. You're our mystery man, said Stephen. He produced a nameless card that looked like a credit card. The whole thing was silver except for the magnetic reader, the chip, and the wireless touch logo. Is worth paying to have a reliable pair of legs to do the dirty work. That being said, I can't just keep giving you suitcases of cash. From now on, all of your money will be clean. All of your money will be available to access from this card. What about taxes? Madison asked. You'll receive a W-2 from Lockwell, said Jeremy. For someone at barely 18, they'll start you at around 90 grand, then tack on more every year. I recommend you spend within your means. What does that mean? Madison asked. It means that if you make 90000 a year, you wouldn't be driving a Maserati, even if you can actually afford it. So what should I do with all my money? Madison asked. Spend it through Thomas, Stephen answered. Thomas will also receive a W-2, but for much more money. Because Thomas has specialized skills and bullshit, his pay will be twice as much as Madison's. It's not a dig at income inequality or sexism, but it's to offset appearances with the IRS and how much you in particular are getting paid, Jeremy explained. So I can buy the Maserati as Thomas, Madison asked. Theoretically, Jeremy said. I might need to get a nicer place, Madison said. If you need any investment strategies, my ear is always open. Stephen said. He gave the card to Thomas. Madison examined it closely. It had Thomas's name imbued into it, and it felt thicker than most bank cards. Getting down to business, said Jeremy. Are you ready for your next mission? Madison had just put the card into Thomas's wallet when he asked. Already? she asked. Everything is already in place. The diamond BS was just a practice run. The next job is going to knock your socks off, Jeremy said. Really? Madison asked. Keep that passport handy. We're going to Egypt. Not many of the stories I would consider short stories get finished as quickly as this one. This idea had been sitting in the back of my mind for quite some time, but it couldn't be until I had an idea for the first job that we could go forward. Although, I think personifying Jeremy really carried the dialogue. I've already got a pretty good vision of what happens next, so expect another episode in this series probably next season. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to know more, check out Nightbooks, nightwithak-books.com. That's nightbooks.com. This podcast is completely word of mouth, so if you enjoy this type of thing, be sure to subscribe and leave a good review if possible. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast was written, recorded, and produced by Benjamin Allen. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast is an EK Publishing Media and Nightbooks production.